one of the family. The family. Dogs are a part of it and at the very heart of it. Nikki Campbell explores this wonderful world with the help of special guests and some other family members. Welcome to One of the Family. This episode is entitled Unapologetically Dogs Are Amazing. A self evident truth. Now, what a lineup. When they write their history books on this extraordinary period in human civilization, there will be a chapter entitled Olive and Mabel. The man behind the dogs running in front of him, the Andrew Cotter, is with me. Ashley. He's with all of us. He totally gets it and beautifully expresses it. The connection between, you know, human and beloved dog is just impossibly strong. It's not all that's just impossibly strong. Is badger shit that bad? Shocking. And my boy Maxwell is the most terrible role model. We'll be hearing from Claire Horton, chief executive at Battersea, with some important messages. There are all kinds of traps that you can fall into. So do your research. Go on all the big charity websites and look at their advice. And the wonderful Gabby Logan on what dogs mean to her and Kenny and the kids. Can you imagine a house without dogs? I can't imagine going back to one dog, let alone having no dogs, you know? It's just... <laughs> Andrew, Claire, Gabby and some other family members. Andrew Cotter first. Dogs are amazing. People can be a bit strange. There are a lot of people who um, are dog lovers, but they're kind of old school stuff and nonsense dog lovers who like their dogs as part of, I don't know, and again, I'm generalizing here, but you know, it's um, it comes from the old hunting background. Dogs are your assistants in the field, etc. Whereas they, they don't care so much about necessarily other animal welfare. Whereas me, I'll see a, a run over pheasant in the road and I'll be upset about it for a for a good while so I can't um I, I you know and people have said to me um you know because occasionally you mix in those circles and people say oh have you trained them to to fetch and to hunt for you god no I I find sh shooting of any animals absolutely abhorrent I don't I'm done for sport as well I just think it's madness mm. what on earth possesses someone to want to to shoot I mean I mean again it's a big big thing in America you know the hunting lobby but um I just don't I don't I I, I can't come to terms with the mentality oh. every day I have a, a lower opinion of humans and a higher opinion of animals and again it's a dangerous road to go down because you can't you know there are lots of goodness in the human race but mm. the connection between you know human and beloved dog is just impossibly strong mm -hmm. you know when i go up in the mountains with them and they're putting all their trust in me as pack leader as well and i am i'm there in my care you know because we're up there in the winter and the snows as well and it's just it's the most beautiful thing very difficult to explain to those who don't know of it but everyone who does know it knows exactly what you're talking about And it's such a cliche to go for the most popular dog in the world, isn't it? But, you know, again, there's a reason why they're the most popular dog in the world. They're, um, they're just brilliant. So um, in terms of temperament and, and ease of training, um, oh, just everything, everything. They're just... Ease of training. That would have been nice. I kind of miss... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I we were quite lazy that. in our training. It's, that's the thing. You get, you get back what you put in. But, but I never really wanted to... I certainly didn't want to have anything to do with you know, training them to be 
hunting dogs. As I said I, I abhor that kind of stuff. So it's uh, so it, it it was more about do you train them to be absolutely obedient all the time? And and there's something about me that says I want them to, within reason, do what I want what 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 I want of them but i don't want a broken animal that is is coming to it i quite like an animal with a bit of spirit of its own and character and i know you can still have that after having trained them and they see training really as just a bit of a game as well and fun so we should have done a bit more but i'm quite happy with the compromise we reached i quite like the selective hearing <laughs> oh god how old are oliver and mabel um seven and a half or seven and three quarters and Three and three quarters, or three and a half. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's November and December of the birthday. So there's four years between them. Olive is the elder. How was their immediate meeting with each other and ensuing relationship? So I remember bringing her back for the first time, and Olive certainly was a bit reticent. You know, she'd been on her own for four years, independent dog. Um, and then Mabel arrives, and Mabel had just been separated from a litter of 12, you know, an enormous litter, and her mother. And so she falls upon Oliver's, you know, very necessary company um, after a five-hour drive up from Devon. Um, and Oliver was a bit, whoa, what's he? Whoa, whoa there, whoa there, young'un. This is, first of all, this is my territory, and who are you, and what are you, and what's this? Um, and I think it maybe took four or five days before Olive realized that this thing was going to be staying, and it wasn't just a fleeting visit. Uh, and all, and but but the, all of us beautiful with her as well though because never I think mean, I think there might have been one, as there has to be one initial early little snap just to to make sure you know your place and whoa there you know keep 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 calm carry on and um, but but you know Mabel was deeply annoying as all puppies would be sharp puppy teeth and just chewing at all his face and ears and head and and just never stopping and it must have been very very tiring indeed for all of but. You know, with the patience of a Labrador, she put up with it. And now they couldn't be without each other. I think Mabel prefers Olive slightly more than the other way around, or certainly dotes on her a bit more. I think she might have seen her as her mother. Um, but uh, Olive certainly loves Mabel as well. Sometimes when Olive is in her prime position on the sofa and Mabel decides that she'd quite like to join proceedings as well, she will come up. And she might just think, I want to just drop my head down here, but I can see that Olive's there. You know, what the hell, I'm gonna go for it. And she'll drop her head down onto Olive and Olive will look up and say, you've, you've ruined this, well, you've ruined it for everyone and she'll leave. So whereas Mabel would love to be sleeping on Olive, but I think Olive <laughs> likes her own space just a little bit. Yeah. Olive, I think is the boss, but then in certain ways, Mabel will, she's very possessive. Mm -hmm. The toy that Mabel wants most of all is the toy that Olive has, whatever she has. So she'll have the orange bone and Mabel will want that. And you know, you might, you know that, that was in one of the videos, that was just what happens every single day. Olive had something, Mabel decides, I really want that. God, I want that. Um, and then Mabel will get it. And then I'll give something else to Olive to appease her. And Mabel will say, do you know what? I quite like that squeaky Christmas pudding as well that Olive's got. One of my daughters was saying about him the other day, his face was carved by angels. Uh, it's a good it, it's true that i don't and you try and analyze what it is you love about them i love their domed heads and their mm. ears are just perfect mm. like elephant's ears aren't they they just hang but yeah. they're so soft and but, but it's that perfect i love it when olive comes and sits next to you so when you're on the sofa and she'll sit next to you on the floor if she's not up on the sofa and she'll just sit and lean against you slightly and she's staring out into the garden it's just the back of her head and her ears hanging down you just can't help but just have a little paw at it so um they i mean they're they're just you know, if we if you hadn't seen one before, you just think this is what a what a beautiful creature this is. 
Um, yeah, Lab- Labradors are some of the best looking dogs out there. And the eyes. Oh, God, yeah, I know. One of the family. Meaningful, beautiful. Labrador's eyes, everyone. Very warm eyes. Warm eyes yeah. Friendly, yeah, loving. Warm Say that again, Alice. A warm feeling when Maxwell yeah, looks at like you beautiful. in the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. For the connection. Yes. It's a serotonin boost. Yeah. 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 That's what it is, yeah? Yeah. 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 <laughs> they can speak a thousand words. They're the Labrador to their personality. Oh, I love the beautiful face carved by angels (laughs) and that's the danger though as well that's the danger because you know and i don't want to get too evangelical about this as a you know owner of fit and healthy dogs but people are just people are they see those eyes and that expression they think oh i'm just going to make my dog happy by giving this and this treat that they want and i'll just give them this bit of food (sighs) and dogs there's a there's a there's an obesity problem in dogs as much as there is in, in humans now because we sort of kill them with the kindness and give, don't give them so much you just have to resist those eyes those hypnotic eyes that are saying give me the food put the plate down um or you know it's because it's not kindness at all it's you know because those dogs will then be out of breath and struggling you know to do all the all the good stuff that dogs do you know they they love it so why would you deprive them of that thing that they love by giving them this other thing that they love. Here, have a, have a cake. It'll make you happy. Once I had to rush out the house because my, my friend's wife got seriously ill, I, I literally got the car keys, went to hospital, A&E to see it, and everything was all right. But I yeah. didn't close the door going upstairs where all the Easter eggs yeah. were upstairs. And he ate all, he ate all the Easter eggs mm. and all the wrapping on the Easter eggs. Oh, of course, yeah. chocolate is lethal for dogs. But it was fine because there's no chocolate really? in Cadbury's. <laughs> like low quantity, yeah. exactly. So yeah. You write to Cadbury's afterwards say, um, Your Easter eggs didn't kill my dog. Exactly. Uh, Lint, they would have uh, death sentence for dogs. <laughs> Keith Wood's dog, great rugby player. So I went over to visit him and he's got two black Labradors and lovely dogs. But I noticed on the ground that there were two dog bowls with some food in them. And I, exactly. <laughs> And I said, how do, how do what? And he says, yeah, I'll give them some food, a big pile of food in the morning. They'll take some of it and just leave the rest of it and have some. Well, exactly. That's, I mean, I could, I could pour out the whole bag of dog food that is actually at my feet here into the yeah, bowl. Yeah, 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 and Olive yeah. would say, ah, good, a hearty meal. And she would not, there's no way she would pause until it's finished. And she'd be just this giant barrel with paws just sticking out like Tyrannosaurus Rex arms and she'd still be going chowing away on this food and and throwing up occasionally because she's eating too much and then eating some more and possibly eating the stuff that she's thrown up as well because someone said to me a a Labrador once a thousand years ago missed a meal and the whole breed has been looking to make sure it never happens again since so I I can't I I think uh, Keith Wood's dogs may not have you know they've been another breed in Labrador disguise because uh, I've never seen that before. They are just eating machines. And that's, yes, that's what I suppose the whole comedy of the, you know, the, the first video I did with them was about because they just, they inhale it, don't they? They just, um, no pause for it. It is, it is a race. It's a contest. It's, um, but it's, uh, it's funny then with, um, with food because again, they have very different attitudes towards it. Olive is, Olive is the greedier. But then if, Mabel sometimes again she just gets the the idea in her little head bless it that she, that food is mm. 
food is of great importance to her and she just will not quit. But generally speaking, Olive is the one who will hang around the bin or around the dishwasher or around, you know, just hang around as we're cooking or preparing or whatever it is, just on the off chance that a tiny crumb hits the floor. And that's what she's there for. That's, that's it. <laughs> that's right. I mean, do, does Maxwell graze? Does he eat grass? Yeah, and it's the grass eating. It's just extraordinary. I'm and worried that there's something in the grass that he might yeah. be eating yeah. as well, especially with lots of people in the parks. You're, you're fortunate. Mm. You're in a rural idyll, but lots of people in the parks in London, and you know, and so they, he has been known to eat the unspeakable. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, but to them, it's not unspeakable. It's quite speakable. In fact, it's quite. <laughs> They're quite happy to chat about it. Yeah, I've just been eating some shit. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, but all, all of, both Olive and Mabel, when they get something in their heads, and when they, you see them when they put their nose up in the air as well, and you think, oh, God, we're in trouble here. Have you had the badger shit? Okay, well, lots of, lots of fox shit regularly. Yeah. There was one dead bird in particular which just would not, the smell would not go away. And Olive... Um, Olive likes to roll, but she'll do it classic style. She'll get into it, then she'll be waggling her legs in the air. Mabel sort of corkscrews around it. She keeps her back legs standing up and just digs her shoulder into it and then just sort of walks around uh, with her shoulder on the ground. Um, but yeah, once they get that smell, you can't move them, and then you can't move the smell either. So, yeah. Is badger shit that bad? One of the family. What's the worst thing that Maxwell's rolled in? Do we remember? Badger. Do you remember the badger? Yeah, well, thank of course you. I do. That smell will never leave my nose. It's that disgusting. Has he rolled in human poo? Definitely, and it's disgusting. Tina doesn't tell me that he's rolled, and I'll, and I'll go downstairs in the morning, I'll stroke him, I'll let him lick my face, and then I'll be careful he's eaten and rolled in human poo, like five minutes later, there's nothing I can do, you know? That's actually vile. That's gross. That's only happened once. I can't put that on. Why? Okay. We never, we never, it's the gory truth, they're one of the family, so what can you do? <laughs> you always bring the Marley and me. It was on recently. I can't. I couldn't watch the end. When he's sitting there, you know, and he'll say, "You'll let me know when it's time." You know, it's just a. It's just horror. I can't even think about it. And that is the that is the great unthinkable thing of dogs because they're not here, you know, that long. But you, I, but I, but I do think about it most days, and it's a terribly morbid thing to think about. But um, um, you know, because they are going through their lives much more rapidly than we're going through ours, so um. And it sounds rather cold and mercenary, but you have to have almost a conveyor belt of dogs because you move on and you project that love that you had. You never forget the previous dog and you always remember them, but you move on to another dog and they butter themselves into your heart as well. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the horrible part at the end. But again, it's, again, the deal you make for all the wonderful stuff you have before. I will be there. A vet will... If he says, I'm only coming out for uh, half a million pounds, I'll say, I'll find it from somewhere, remortgage the house, because I, I, will, I will be here with my dog when the moment comes, and it'll be horrible for all of us, but um, you know, I will tell her one more time that she's a good dog as she goes, and that, that'll be a happy way to leave. You have to be there, have to be there with them, so they've got somebody that they know loves them. Anyway. Mabel and Olive, thank you very much for giving them to the world. Yeah, you're very welcome. They have kind of become, yes, I, I own them, we own them, but um, they, they kind of belong to the world a little bit now as well.
Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Olive. Thanks, Mabel. But what about those dogs who belong to nobody? Here is Claire Horton, the chief executive at Battersea. They have been busy. Well, unbelievable, complete, complete overdrive in terms of um, a whole national picture now, everywhere across the sector. It's going to go a couple of, one a couple of ways, really. Come the end of furlough, I think we might see large numbers of people losing their jobs, very sadly. And what that might mean for those people is economics just don't allow them to keep their pets. Um, and that might mean that we, we as rescues suddenly see a, a surge of, of, of dogs coming in and, and being relinquished, and cats too, of course. Um, I think what we might also see, however, is that people, when they go back to work, start to find that their animals who of course have had them around for weeks months and and and, and been there full time start to experience all kinds of separation anxiety and various different behavior problems um, and that might mean that people then can't cope with that or they don't want to cope with that and it's just impractical so animals might get relinquished because of that however there is a flip side and that I do think that lots more organisations, companies will be working differently. Lots more people will want to work much more flexibly um, and will be able to spend more time at home. One of the primary reasons that people don't have pets is because they're not at home because they work full time. So if people do have that flexibility in their daily work to be able to um, maybe work a couple of days at home, it makes it so much more easy to keep a dog, to keep a cat, because you're not leaving them on their own for so much longer. So in that case, we're hoping that people will actually keep those animals or will become pet owners. You know, so there's there's two sides to it and we just don't quite know which way it's going to go yet. I suppose there are tough questions that you ask prospective owners relating to everything you've just said. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, we do that anyway. I mean, it's, you know, it is quite tough to, uh, to, 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 to get a rescue animal simply because they've already had some disruption in their lives. Some have had a pretty awful time. So you want to make sure that when they go to a new home that they're going to a permanent place where people are going to love them and they're going to be suited to the environment that they're moving into. So all of the things that we would ask in general, which would be about people's circumstances, we're probably going to be looking twice as hard now. What makes you say no? Generally, we say no to people who want an animal that doesn't, either a particular animal that they may have seen on our website or they've seen um, on one of our programs and they want it and, and of course either there are lots of people looking for that animal and there are you know sort of maybe better better suited families to that particular animal and it will be generally around um, their circumstances or their um, house or their environment or their work commitments do not suit that particular animal um, we would say no to people who uh, who really generally don't have the time so you know whilst we recognise that lots of people work and lots of people make pet ownership and work work well. Um, it's not great to be leaving an animal, well, certainly a dog particularly. I mean, most you know, cats generally tend to be fine, but dogs, you can't leave them alone for 10 hours a day um, if you're working a long way away and you've got a long commute and you can't do that every day of the week. It's just not a great environment or, or lifestyle for 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 you or your animal and you're not going to be able to cope with that exuberance at the end of the day when they see you and then want to go out for um for endless walks so we, we we can be a bit we can be you know quite picky on that um we make no apologies for 
for it. Ultimately, Good. it's got to be the right environment for the for the right um, for the right animal. Do people ever bring them back and say, actually, we've changed our minds? Yeah, we do. Um, sadly, you know, I think that's a factor of rescue anywhere. I mean, it's a factor of life, and people will get bored with things and, and either sell them on or return them. Certainly, we will we will have um, a, probably about ten percent of the of the dogs that we rehome will uh, come back, and that will be coming back within the first sort of six months. Either the animal doesn't get on perhaps with a with a, another household pet so it might be that you know dogs don't just decide that they just don't get on however well a first meeting might be um it might be that circumstances change and that happens a lot and that's really sad because you know we've we've seen people who have just been over the moon with a new pet and then they've either got divorced or they may have been diagnosed with a serious or terminal illness or they might have had an accident they might have died um, or we've had animals back and these are the really shocking ones and these are the these are the really frustrating ones and you have animals back and people you know and and, and it doesn't match the sofa and it doesn't suit us or we thought it would be more fun or we didn't expect we'd have to do, I don't know, we'd have to clean up the wee for the first five days. And ultimately, you know. Claire, have you had somebody say it doesn't match the sofa? We have indeed. We have. Indeed. And that, well, what can you say? What did you say? <laughs> well, we, um, we, we, take, we take the animal back and we make sure that that person never darkens our doors again <laughs> because they are not the sort of person that deserves to have an animal if they want it because it matches the sofa. I mean, there's the whole thing, isn't there, about sort of fashion dogs and designer dogs and all of that stuff. And you know people want particular breeds and you don't mind that. But really... These are sentient beings. I'm not talking about the people with the sofa. <laughs> There are millions of pounds worth of puppies being smuggled into this country um, every year. There are people setting themselves up as um, breeders when in fact they've, they're dealers and they've picked up pup, large numbers of puppies from puppy farms that you know we know are, are in existence in, in various parts of the country, particularly Wales and, and Ireland and lots in Lincolnshire. So, um, you know, and then setting themselves up as private homes and selling puppies to very unsuspecting and unwitting buyers who genuinely want an animal um, have done what they think is the right thing and they've gone onto the internet, they've done their research, they've looked on what looks like, uh, you know, quite, quite professional and, and, and believable websites, only to find that there either is no animal, having parted with, you know, a thousand pounds, two thousand pounds, and at the moment, you know, we've got, we've, we've seen animals go for, uh, puppies and dogs go for six thousand pounds, which is ridiculous. So you're either getting scammed um, and there is no puppy, or you're paying over the odds as market demand has gone up so high. Uh, there's a site called Pets for Homes, and, and people have been looking on that, and it's doubled in the last few months to seven million people have looked on that site in recent months um, and you know it, it, it rehomes around 2,000 pets a day uh, uh, during lockdown and, and you know that's if those animals are great animals and if those animals are going to great homes that's wonderful you know that's great nobody doesn't you know I, I'm not here to say people shouldn't have animals they should that you know they make wonderful companions and, and complete your family um, but it, it's it, it's a sad industry I think that has taken the um you know the, the joy of pet ownership and turned it into profit making to the at the expense of breeding bitches stud dogs and of course the puppies themselves and all of those animals in that chain in large-scale commercial breeding and sale um, or in any of the trafficking and smuggling that we've seen um, and big imports now increasing that are legal but 
poor welfare, all of those animals are suffering. How does the law need to change? So enforcement needs to change around the ports and the borders and health checks need to be, uh, health certificates need to be checked. The animals themselves need to be checked. We had Lucy's law um, actually implemented in England uh, a couple of months ago now. We were delighted with that. You know, it's a, it's a great... It's a great piece of legislation if you are a breeder in England um, uh, because you've got to sell your puppies and you've got to buy your puppies in England. But unfortunately, it's not been picked up UK wide yet. So, you know, you can breed to your heart's content in Wales and, 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 and sell and people can just drive over the borders into England with puppies. Puppy do's and puppy don'ts. You absolutely have to do your due diligence. And I would always say, if you want um, a, a puppy, a pedigree puppy, go and look on the Kennel Club website, look at the Assured Breeders Scheme, which are breeders that the Kennel Club have registered and, and inspected and know that will produce good, healthy, well uh, socialized puppies. If you want an adult dog, please look carefully at where they're coming from. Just watch out, you're not taking on a street dog from somewhere like Romania. And I say that because I know lots are coming into the country and I'm also know, um, I also know that lots of local authority wardens are picking up these dogs because they're running away. Street dogs do not necessarily turn into great domesticated household family pets. That's not where they've come from. That's not the life they've lived um, and they're difficult to look after. So if you're having a dog that's coming from abroad, make sure it's got all its health checks, make sure you are dealing with a reputable charity. And, and I would say that you know charity needs to belong to um, an organisation like the Association of Dogs and Cats Owns, which is a sort of the membership body for, for charities, um, to make sure that the imports are being done well. Um, and then go and see the animal, you know, go and see if you can see uh, a puppy with its mother or go and meet the animal and make sure that you're happy with where it's living. But do be aware that many scammers will have rented a house and will be looking at a, you'll be looking at a sparsely furnished room and you won't be able to see the mother and you know they'll have all sorts of reasons why it's difficult for you to do this that or the other or why they won't even want you to come to the house so there are all kinds of traps that you can fall into so do your research go on all the big charity websites and look at their advice um, go to the kennel club look at their advice and then go and find a wonderful pet and be happy and please think about rescue do choose rescues because they absolutely do deserve that second chance claire horton what a great thing to do and what a wonderful companion and family member that dog or cat could be Gabby Logan on the dogs in her family coming up and Bria Campbell was delighted when she heard Gabby was coming on. One of the family. I love Gabby Logan for so many reasons. She's always got such great style. She, her knowledge about football is so impressive, let alone all the other sports she knows about. Um, I love watching her present athletics and she loves dogs. And here she is talking about Maggie and first of all, Milo. Well, he wasn't badly treated or anything, and they, you know, but I think both parents worked long hours, and um, they they didn't seem to. His pads were pink, like like baby, you know, like a baby's kind of um, sole of a baby's foot. I, mean, I took him for his first walk, and it was October time, and he he was standing on um, acorns that had fallen from the trees, and he was he was hopping as if he was on hot coals. Like no, you know, his pads were completely un, um, they they were totally sensitive, and so. I realised that he just hadn't been walked in a kind of um, 
a, a proper kind of energetic way. You know, he'd just been taken to a green and stuff. So he was just a bit, um, a bit unused to things like, you know, kind of that you'd expect a big dog like that to have. And he, he was a little bit, um, I don't know. I just, I don't, I'm sure they were a lovely family and they, you know, they looked after him, but he just felt a little bit shy and a bit sad. Do you know what I mean? As if he just kind of wasn't, um, wasn't used to having people around all the time. And this is a busy house and there's lots going on. And there's always somebody wants a cuddle, you know, like my 14 year old son seems to be 15 spends half of his day apparently lying next to him, talking to him, you know, he's got people around him all the time now. So he's, um, he's very different these days. He's got a real kind of laid backness and Ruben and him are really, really close. And, um, very he's very he like cuddles him do you know like properly you wouldn't think a box is that cuddly but he kind of lies with him in his bed and things and and i, I did say that to him actually about do you talk to him and he's like yeah we just we just talk all the time <laughs> we just he just tells him his issues and um milo knowingly stares back at him kind of <laughs> agreeing or disagreeing maggie the labradoodle I, she's so perceptive, you know, my, my mom's not a big dog person, even though we were allowed to have dogs as a family, she doesn't love dogs in the way that we do. And she, Maggie always goes to her. It's almost like she's, she's trying to convince her. So no matter how much negative energy my mom puts off towards the dog, Maggie always goes up to her and just sits and looks at her adoringly. And then my mom said something that was quite sad one day. We'd chat about something. And Maggie just put her head on her knees if to say, it's okay, I, you know, I've, I'm, I'm with you. And, like, and I'm, I said to my mom, you still, how can you not, you know, how can you not love this thing? And, you know, she's just, she's so tuned into you. She's so tuned into your mood. And she's very, um, like, she usually comes and she's just down on the floor now. She comes and sits in my office when I'm working. She'll sit under the desk or she'll sit in the step just looking at me, waiting to kind of, you know, for me to just need her to go over and give her a few minutes of affection. A dog persuading somebody who doesn't like dogs to like dogs yeah yeah because like milo's not bothered he's very if you don't like me it's fine i'm not bothered I, whereas maggie's yeah. got this kind of she's a real she's a people pleaser you know like she really wants you to she wants to be happy she wants everybody to be it's all good she loves she loves fun times you know <laughs> she's got this every day when she goes for a walk it's like her first walk, you know, like she's springing up, kind of like looking at me, like we're so excited that we're doing, we're doing this again. We're doing this. I can't believe it. I, yeah, we did it yesterday and the day before that, and the day before that. It's this beautiful enthusiasm and energy that is an excitement and, you know, kind of, oh, we're going to go on, we're going to go down here. Yeah, we, we walk down here most days, you know, <laughs> and she looks at you and that, thank you so much for taking me on this walk. <laughs> I can't believe my luck. <laughs> You lost Sydney, who was another boxer. What, round about, um, if Milo's, did you say Milo was yeah, nine? Yeah, so we moved here in the August of 2013 mm. and Sydney didn't make it. We'd been doing this house up for nearly a year and we were desperate for her to come and live here and she died just before we moved out here. So she's actually buried here. We brought her out and, um, and that was, so the kids, Kenny and I got Sydney in Scotland when she was a puppy. So before we had kids and then the kids grew up with her. That's all they knew was Sydney. So Lois, who is Ruben's twin, still has Sydney's blanket in her bedroom. And sometimes if she's obviously had a hard day, I go in and it's on her bed and she's like kind of like wrapped us, you know, it's cleaned obviously, but she still has um, like such powerful kind of memories of Sydney and was really, really um, devastated by her death, you know, because it was the first time they'd lost any, anybody, anything that mattered to them. She had stomach cancer and the last day of her life so she was due to be put down at four o'clock 
we were receiving visitors like all day, people that knew she was going and that loved her, you know, like people coming in to say goodbye. And it was just, it was just awful. And the kids really wanted to come. And the four of us sat around her and cuddled her and, um, and just watched her, you know, go and just held on to her. And the vets were so amazing that, you know, what they, how they kind of create that for you as a family. And then we, popped her in the car, wrapped her up and popped her in the car. And then we drove out to where we live now. And on the way here, it was about an hour, Lois almost wailed for the whole, like she talked, she talked to her. Do you know what I mean? She talked to her for the whole hour. And it was so, it was so devastating for the, to see the kids so, you know, broken and heartbroken about her. What was Lois saying to her? Just chatting away. Yeah, she was kind of looking up to the sky. It was like she was wailing. She was kind of, you will always be the one. You will be the most special star of my life. And you are, and she didn't stop. Like it was just this continuous stream of um, telling her how much she meant to her. And you were the best friend I had. And, you know, you gave me everything. And I'm, I will always make sure that any dogs that we have will always know about you. And I'll tell them all about you. And she was just, it was, it was kind of coming from a place when it's a child. It was coming from this kind of really beautiful kind of like this, you know, just such sweet sentiment, but also probably everything that all of us were thinking. But as adults, you wouldn't say those things, you know, out loud. Um, so and she remembers it really well. You know, we, she she's got um, so many artifacts that were hers around and talks about her. And she's you know, she's still kind of very much like. She was the she was the leader. She was the dog that kind of led the way. I remember receiving the call from the vet and just broke down and um I shocked myself do you know what I mean I it kind of shot even though I knew she was really ill dogs are just tied up with so many different areas of your life aren't they and they and for Sydney she was so precious because we couldn't get pregnant and so we were trying to get pregnant and somebody had said to me you know dogs are really good at like helping women to you know kind of fall pregnant because it releases these hormones of love and caring because you're spending so much time loving something that you're you know i was literally nikki i would if somebody had said to me you eat cardboard for a week i just wanted to you know i wanted to get pregnant and i love dogs so i thought <laughs> well, this is perfect <laughs> this is i've got an excuse to get a dog and um kenny was obsessed with boxers and we found her in uh, combinald so we had her for a year before we had the kids. So all those memories were tied up, you know, with, with us getting pregnant and then bringing the babies home from hospital and bringing her out to meet the babies, you know, because you're supposed to introduce the dog outside of the home to new babies so that they can welcome the babies in. And within about 10 minutes, she nicked two of their little kind of crib toys and buried them in the garden. And I didn't know whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. I was thinking, oh, she doesn't like them. And actually it was a good thing. She wanted to protect them. And she, she used to lie underneath their Moses baskets all day long. And if they made a peep, she would come and get me. And she was, she just adored them. You know, she was, she was such an amazing family dog. That's really interesting about having very, very young children and dogs and how they just magically bond very often as well, don't they? And you, you immediately trust the dogs because you, you see that the dogs are looking out for the kids. That's an incredible thing. Yeah. Well, my, my, um, my brother, we had this, um, we, we always had to have poodles growing up because my mom didn't like hair. So we had standard poodles that weren't cut. They were just shaggy. They were the most beautiful dogs and they're mm. such clever dogs poodles. They get a kind of bad rap, I think, because the Hollywood poodle looks so ridiculous when it's all preened and everything, you know, but standard poodles are really clever and they're brilliant for kind of running and, you know, they're really and very energetic and great family dogs. And our dog, Sadie, um, my brother's a lot younger than me when he was about two and I must have been I'd gone out to school to get the school bus with my sister and my brother 
um, somebody had left the gate open and we lived on a really busy road and he just started wandering out, two years old in his nappy. Um, my mum was clearing at breakfast and it was a really busy road and Sadie ran out and just trapped him. She just lay on top of him at the side of the road and his nanny was arriving on a bus going past watching this whole thing happen as the dog kind of leapt onto the baby and just lay on top of him. She ran off the bus to come and, you know, obviously try and save him. But the dog stayed until the nanny arrived. I don't know how long the dog would have stayed, you know, because the dog didn't, um, presumably somebody would have stopped a car or something. But she saw the whole thing kind of before her very eyes happen. And I'm convinced he saved Jordan's life because he was running for the road, basically. Uh. One of the family. You go home if you've had a bad day and Maxwell's your therapist, yeah. you know. He'll sit to you, you can ramble to him. Yeah, you can cry to him, you can laugh to him, he understands, he gets you. You know, a, p- a piece of us would be missing if if they weren't at home. It's part of home. When you're on the sofa and they just automatically come and sit on your lap, that's just natural curl to us. Into curl into you, just... It'd be horrible without them, wouldn't it? Horrible. I don't, you know, I can't think about it, it makes me sad. Sometimes we're sat watching TV and... And only one of them might be there when you're watching TV. The other one might have gone back to its bed. And I, I kind of find if there's no dog there for some reason, it doesn't feel the same. You know, like not having a dog with you when you're, or if we've got a fire on, they love, don't they? They come and they find the fire and they come and lie down in front of the fire. And, um, and a fire on watching TV without the dog there doesn't feel like we're actually doing this properly. You know, there's something, something missing from this process. So not only do, you know, it's like the beginning of the day and the end of the day, those periods where they, their enthusiasm in the beginning of the day and their ability to kind of wind you down at the end of the day as well. I know it sounds a bit gushy, but I just genuinely, I just can't imagine, can't imagine a life, a life without them. On a podcast as dog friendly as this, it does not sound gushy. I know, but there are people and I, and I don't- They're not listening. No, I know they're not listening. And I do feel, I don't, it's not patronising to say, but I, I sometimes feel a bit sorry and think, oh, but you don't know. You know, you must have had a bad experience with a dog if you really dislike them that much. There's must, something must have happened because I can't imagine really not liking them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's, but, I mean, you've got the time, if you've got the lifestyle. When we had one dog in London where fewer of our friends had dogs, everybody wanted her for the weekend you know if we were going somewhere because she was such a great dog to have around and it was the perfect um way for them to have their fix a little dog fix um without having to commit you know full time to a dog and um one of our friends we were moving house and the house wasn't ready and we had to move into a flat and they wouldn't allow dogs and so they took sydney for three weeks and this is no exaggeration I almost had to go and prize her away. You know, like I, I, she was putting me <laughs> off picking her up and she would say, I, I'm not going to be in at four. And then Tuesday, I'm not going to be, I, I've got to come and get my dog back. And when I went to pick the dog up, she was crying. She was like, she was, she couldn't release her. You know, she was just so, um, they've now got dogs, funny enough. Can you imagine a house without dogs? I can't imagine going back to one dog, let alone having no dogs. You know, it's just <laughs> every morning when I open the door in the kitchen and I'm usually the first up and they both jump up and kind of like come towards you. They're not coming for food because they know they don't get fed till after their walk. You know, that's the routine. They get fed after their walk. So they're not coming for food. They're not coming for, they just want to come and say good, good morning to you with that real enthusiasm and that kind of joy for the day. It can be lashing down with rain outside. You might not have slept well, but they just have so much hope for the day, don't they? And they, they come up to you and they give you so much love. And I just can't imagine opening a kitchen door in the morning and not seeing them. That, that would be really sad for me, you know? And that hope for the day is, it's infectious, isn't it? Yeah, every, everybody, you know, 
one by one. Everybody, this is normal times, you know, when you've got school runs. Everybody comes in in their uniforms, all getting the food, and everybody's kind of and I you just observe everybody gets that moment where they come up, you know, and kind of nobody none of the kids would ever not spend a few minutes giving them a cuddle. In fact, Reuben usually I'm trying to get a clothes brush because he's covered in hair where he's just had a roll around on the floor before school, you know. So he starts the day looking disheveled because they all want that interaction and that lovely um kind of affection and if you start the day with that kind of affection you're already kind of winning aren't you really you're ahead of the game (laughs) well in the lingo of the sports broadcaster what a finish thanks for listening